Welcome to Tea Time with a Teacher. I am your host, JB McConney, and welcome to the latest episode. Today's guest is a little bit of a change up, but the guest will actually be me. I'll be answering some of your questions. Thank you guys who submitted questions. As always, you can DM me on Instagram if you have any questions or want me to answer any questions or comments or anything like that. So introducing me, um, my name is obviously JB McConney. Um, I currently teach eighth grade social studies. Um, I'm in a master's program at Columbia focusing on school leadership, and I'm excited to share a little bit about me today. For those of you that asked questions, I'll just be running through them one by one, answering them. If you've got follow-up questions, please let me know. All right, I'm also using a new mic that was a self-Christmas present, um, self-holiday present for me. Um, So also let me know because I love the way that this sounds. Um, And apologies in the past for all the sketchy sounds. If you're listening to this while driving and you have to raise the volume and go up and down and up and down, um, I know that's a pet peeve of mine. So I hope this helps. All right, without further ado, let's get started with the episode. So our first question um, is, is it difficult to see students face-to-face um, slash connect with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pandemic has thrown a lot of curveballs at teachers, myself included. And, you know, number one on that list is the ability to connect with students, right? There are a lot of things that teachers kind of put aside or overcome um, because of the love of the job and because connecting with students kind of overshadows all the crazy and and stressful things that you have to do. When that's taken away, such as now, you start reevaluating the difficulty of the job and it makes you question your effectiveness as well as the fun part of the job, right? Because the situations you have with students, the impacts you can make, connections you can have, that is really why you're there. And if you ask any teacher, they will agree. And if you ask them a favorite memory or a favorite story, 99.9% of them will say a story that has a student involved right? We like working with kids. And that is why um, we are all in education. As far as is it difficult to see students face to face? Yeah, absolutely. In a previous episode, we talked about, you know, some students looking older than they actually are, um, or even younger than they actually are based on the mask, right? Because you can't see anything lower than the eyes. You can't see whether your joke in class lands, you can't see whether someone's upset at you or happy with you based on, you know, something that you did in class as a teacher. Um, So it's just a whole nother wave that you know, I think we were dealing with enough issues and problems and things that we had to do that dealing with this added whole added thing was um, something we didn't need, um, something we have been getting adjusted to as teachers do with everything. And then adjusting and making improvements as we as we move towards the second semester of this and trying to make do with, you know, what we have. Um, I've started to think about, you know, virtual learning games versus in-person learning games because I teach, you know, uh, three blocks in person, two blocks virtual instead of, you know, at the beginning where I was kind of like, well, I can't do any of these review games or games um, or engaging stuff because, you you know, no one can get closer. And now it's just finding ways to adapt to the situation and, and try to make the kids have fun and myself have fun because I think I've realized it's not possible if I'm not having fun and the kids aren't having fun uh, because towards the beginning it was it was awful. I'll be honest with you. Question, second question, one thing outside of teaching you enjoy. Um, This one's a no brainer. It is absolutely soccer. I played soccer for my whole life, love soccer, love coaching soccer, um, and love playing soccer. Uh, Just that competitive spirit. I love, love, love the way soccer and sport intersects with the culture of a place, especially outside of the United States. When you think about Europe um, or South America specifically, there's that whole culture where sports is 
or soccer is politics. Um, so you see players protesting, you see players using their platform um, with all sports, but soccer in particular. And it's and it's so great to see um, in different countries how respected those soccer players are, as well as, you know, the impact they can make on little boys and girls who are growing up looking up to them. Um, especially now when we have these racial injustice and COVID and all these other issues where, you know, soccer players in other countries are able to lead from the front and saying, you know, these are these issues that are super important. Other podcasts you listen to uh, model yourself after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the number one podcast that I listen to is, of course, The Daily um, and the host, Michael Barbaro. Obviously, they have the New York Times, you know, structure and funding and all that. But the way he is able to pull guests in, create a story every single day, keep it fresh, have guest hosts, all these things I would like to eventually do. Um, and He just does an excellent job. Um, I've been told I'm not a good listener. I've been told that by, you know, my girlfriend as well as other people. And I think a podcast is great in that it's good practice to just continue to hear other people's stories instead of interjecting and constantly trying to put my own flavor in. I think Michael Barbaro, the host of The Daily, does an amazing job of not responding right away or not listening to respond, but instead just listening to actually genuinely listen to the person's perspective. And I, and I take that um, and hopefully can bring it to, to this podcast. Um, I also like Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. He's someone I, I watched when he was acting on Parenthood, and now he has his own podcast, and it is awesome. Um, and it's real, and it's, you know, unfiltered. He gets his personality in there. And I, you know, again, would like to, to be able to, with things like this, let you guys kind of learn more about me. Um, and I've struggled with that even as a teacher to say, you know, I don't want to share anything about me because this is about the students or this is about the podcasts and the guests. But then I realized, you know, in order to build a relationship like Dak Shepard does in his podcast um, to invest the listeners in just like you invest your students in in wanting to work hard for you um, I, I, I that's a you know an area of growth and a push for for me that I'd like to to, to start doing one guess you wish to have on um, there's two uh, so one's kind of like a jokey one um, and one's a real one you know I feel like the cliche answer is Barack Obama so I won't say him even though you know he's amazing um, I would probably say the the jokey one is JJ Reddick um, who played for Duke um, he has his own podcast I think it's called Old Man and the Three and he is now a NBA player has been for a while now um, and I think he's still playing. Yeah, he's now moved and is still playing with the New Orleans Pelicans. It's not as serious. I just have such a connection with him. And to watch what he does with bringing on political guests, not just sports guests, to kind of talk about that intersection that I mentioned earlier, um, I think is brave. And I think he's spoken out about a lot of social justice issues, which I think, you know, he doesn't have to as a white man, but he chooses to um, and to use his platform and make an impact, which I, I so... Um, you know, celebrate. I was a kid and I remember I would play out my little basketball hoop and I would, you know, I was obsessed with Duke at the time because they were so good at basketball. And um, I would look at the roster and it was Sheldon Williams and JJ Reddick, you know, and I would pretend I was JJ Reddick because he was, you know, short and he could shoot three pointers. And I would see, you know, JJ Reddick, he runs, he dribbles, he passes. Oh, he passes it to JP, JB catches it and he shoots. Um, it probably was also because of his name too. But Anyway, um, so he just has a connection because I remember watching his career play out and seeing the crazy things and thinking about, man, he and I were playing basketball um, in our front yard, you know, before he went to college. And it sounds kind of pathetic slash embarrassing, but yeah, that was my life. I mean, as a kid, you're, you entertain yourself, um, especially when you're given a basketball and a basketball hoop or any sort of sports thing. I was able to 
spend hours just thinking and pretending, you know, three seconds on the clock. He catches it. He shoots. He scores. So shout out to JJ Reddick if you're listening. I'd love to be on your podcast, but I also love what you're doing. Um, and you, you know, I'd love to have you on someday. The more serious one is probably Malala. Um, not only is she Pakistani like myself, uh, she is the ultimate champion for education, right? International education, um, education for young girls when it's not um, when it's not accessible. Um, she is the most pure and best person in the world, in my opinion. Um, you know, to go what she's go through what she's gone through to continue to wake up every day and say, you know, I am going to help people everywhere no matter what. I'm not going to live with hate towards what happened to me. Um, I'm not going to judge people, but she is just pure, like unadulterated goodness in the world. Um, And when I see, you know, things in the US, and then I see her speak, it's just incredible. And I just love to pick her brain and just talk about, um, you know, her experiences growing up, and then the, you know, what her goals are, and and what kind of impact she's able to make each day um, with her platform. So, um, yeah, it would be JJ Reddick kind of as a low key one. Um, and then Malala Yousafzai, of course, as, um, you know, a guest that I'd love to have on. Okay. So the next question is you are a school leader, identify one, one non-negotiable for your staff and one non-negotiable for the students that you are willing to die on a hill for the entire year. All right. So this one I had to think about for a long time, uh, mainly because I know who asked it and they're definitely testing, uh, my, you know, potential for school leadership and um, the training that I've received. So first, I, I thought about it. And I thought, you know, it's so easy. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I'm very critical of school administration or school leadership. And it's always, you know, you can sit on the sidelines um, and kind of complain. But when you're put in the position, the buck stops with you. And you can't criticize your own decision, because you're the one who has to die on the hill for it. So with that being said, if I ran my own school, my one non-negotiable for, for staff would be commitment to growth, right? And I don't, I don't mean that as like the cliche commitment to growth that you check a box and you say, yeah, I'm committed to growth. Um, but I would, in an interview process, I would go through and I would have them, you know, do a sample lesson, a 10, 15, 50 minute lesson like they normally do. Um, and then I would pull them aside and I would give them feedback or I'd have my, you know, instructional coaches give them feedback, critical feedback. And then I would ask them to go teach it to maybe a new class or to run it back again. And I would want to see their reaction to getting critical feedback and then to see if they actually implement the feedback in lifetime. That tells me a couple things, right? That tells me, one, they're okay getting critical feedback. They don't have as much of an ego. They're not resistant. So I know they'll be good for culture because they'll always be willing to learn. I have had so many people that I've seen you know, who are just coming out from college, and they're fresh, and they have this growth mindset. And I can work with that as a school leader. And as a teacher, I would love to have teachers who are hardworking, if they struggle in the classroom, or they're maybe not as effective as as another teacher, but they work extremely hard, they're going to be committed for the long haul. And I need those people there for the culture at my school. And I need those people there for the kids, because I know they're going to help me build an army to support the kids, right? They're not going to be undermining me, they're not going to be saying, well, he doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. He instead, they would say, no, he has these reasons. I back him because he's helping my growth and I'm going to fight for him and I'm going to fight for the students. Right? The second thing would be the non-negotiable for the students. I would kind of blend it with students and families. 
right? Our district, they used to meet with families and they would have a sign a contract and then they would hold the students to that contract of, you know, you show up on time, you're present at school, you do all your work, you know, all these things that I think are important for families to understand. I think oftentimes it's like, oh, well, families are working and, you know, we don't want to bother them. But when it comes down to it, every family is going to be committed to their kids' education, especially their if they're applying to a school like the district I work in, where it's, you know, you do have to apply. You're not ba- you're not taken based on your test scores, but you do have to apply. That's kind of a cop-out to say, well, actually, we don't really want to invest resources to engage you. So we're just going to say, yeah, yeah, here, sign this paper. This is a contract, right? And then we never talk about it until they graduate. And then we don't even talk about it then either. So it's it's kind of putting them out and saying, okay, send your kid here. We're good. We don't need anything from you. We'll get your kid to graduate. Right. And by doing so, I think we only do that in low income schools. Right. In no other school would a parent be okay with saying, no, I want to know what my kid is doing. I want to know how I can support them. I want to be able to contact the teacher and build a relationship with them and know about the school and be involved in the school. And I and I see my own school and I see my own district and we kind of push that off to the side. So I'd love to kind of bring that back and say, if you're a student that comes to my school, you and your family, we are going to sit down and we're going to invest in your growth and we're going to come up with a plan that makes sure that you are held accountable as a family who is invested in the school and we are going to be held accountable by you guys um, to make sure that we're providing the best for you as the family and you as the student. What made you get into education? So I think there's two parts to this and you're probably rolling your eyes like, why does he have to say two parts to everything? It's super long. Um, But I just think, you know, this is a huge question that I know so many teachers kind of have their own story. So I'll share mine. Right. The first the first one kind of has to do with why did I get into education? And then the second one has to do with kind of why specifically do I prefer or do I only want to work in low income areas? So um, the kind of more direct answer to what made me get into education was um, my summers at Breakthrough Houston um, as a teaching fellow. Right. Going there thinking, oh, you know, go to law school. It's a great internship. So build my resume up and never actually like, hey, I'm gonna get immersed in the experience and actually enjoy this because I had never heard of teaching or I I didn't know what it was like. Um, And then I went there and I saw the impact a teacher could make. Yes, you're 20 years old and you're teaching 13, 14 year olds. um, So you're more like a mentor and like a tutor almost it feels like because you're so close in age but seeing able like that journey just through one summer so it's like what six six to eight weeks and and seeing the impact you can make on one student's life like just saying hey blank blank i believe in you let's work together here's the potential you can have or a student coming up to you that you work with saying hey i want to go to rice you went to rice how do i get there right and then seeing them six seven years later actually apply to rice and get in right? That is what it's all about. And I think in no other profession are we privileged to have that opportunity where we can see like the output of our work. I don't work for Amazon and say, you know, I saved $50 or I made $5 million for the company or anything. But instead, it's I see that kid on Instagram, and they're deciding to be a doctor and they go to, you know, a college and and that was never in their future. But we had some pivotal moments when, you know, they were younger. And look at them now. I think that's awesome. And that's why I choose to be in education. Specifically with low-income students and communities, um, there are a couple things. I think playing soccer, my eyes were open to a different world. So being in pretty high academic classes like the you know IB and AP programs, you're kind of 
put along, at least in my school, you're put along with a certain group of students. And that those students are not indicative of, of the overall student population, right? So soccer allowed me to kind of have my dip my toes in, in, in two pools um, and interact with a whole different group of people to gain their respect to say, oh, he's not just a nerd, you know, he can play soccer as well. Uh, there, you know, I had one friend and, and we were both in, in outside soccer and club soccer. And, and I would, you know, we were friends at school as well, but but we were in very different classes and, and you know, we were kind of friends, um, but we had such different experiences that, that that gap was was hard to bridge. And I invited him to the club team because, you know, I said, we can put you on scholarship and, you know, um, you're a great player and, and you're a great guy. So I think you'd be, you know, a great addition to the team. Um, and he joined the team and he would always, you know, sometimes he would be late to practice. Sometimes he wouldn't come to practice. Sometimes we'd give him rides. And, you know, we'd talk in the car, or we'd talk at school or we'd talk at practice. And, and, and that made me just realize like how lucky people like me are, right? To have, you know, two parents who literally drive me to practice or drive me to the games and there's no question about it. And I don't question that. And this, you know, my friend who's the same age as me, harder working than I am, you know, more passionate than I am about soccer and about school. And he's having to think about, you know, dropping out of club soccer because he has to get a job because, you know, one of his parents got laid off, right? And to me, that was just mind blowing to think that someone who looks and feels the same is so different for no other reason than complete luck, right? And I, and then I used to think to myself, you know, what if I were born in some village that had no running water and had parents that passed away before, you know, when I was born, right? And just thinking about how that's tough to comprehend of like, why am I put in this position? So, you know, instead of saying, well, I don't want to be put in this position, I, my, my mindset kind of now is, well, if I'm put in this position, then I have to do the best that I can do to just make a positive impact on, um, you know, people that were put in less fortunate positions, not like, hey, here's charity work, you know, be grateful for what I'm doing. But instead saying like, you know, my goal in life and my mission in life should be to make that positive impact in the world, because I could have just as easily been on the other side, and I would have wanted someone to help me, um, or someone to believe in me too. Remember, I, I was, uh, it was between my freshman and, and sophomore year in college, and I was working for, for Mayor Anise Parker, you know, who was running for re-election in Houston, and I was driving back one one day after a long day of phone banking, you know, one of the reasons why I'm not interested in politics. I mean, I am interested, but I would never be fully involved in politics because, um, you know, we'd spend hours phone banking, and I just, you know, I don't get that energy from talking and getting hung up on and all that stuff. I don't have that fire that I know some people have. But anyway, it was a long day. I was driving home, you know, Houston stuff to drive, Texas stuff to drive, um, and I just see this woman and her kid, young daughter, no more than eight, right, and they're rushing along the pedestrian sidewalk, um, and this big truck, one of those Texas-sized monster wheel trucks that you assume is like a raging conservative Trump supporter. But anyway, turn makes a hard right and, you know, doesn't stop, doesn't see that the pedestrian walk sign is up. And this huge truck, you know, knocks this woman, this mom visibly knocks her, you know, she's picked up. I mean, it wasn't very hard, but of course, it's a monster truck. And it's this um, smaller woman. Luckily, her kid was on the other side of her. He knocks her she is kind of thrown off her feet, but luckily she is, you know, visibly okay. And her daughter is, of course, crying as any young kid would. She gathers up her things. She glares at the driver. She scurries away, right? And when I mean scurries, I don't mean that in a slight against her. I mean that as, I thought to myself, she may not have papers, right? And as we know in this country, if you do not have papers, you are treated like a second-class citizen. So you don't call the police and say, hey, this guy hit me. And I just thought about when I'm sitting in my car, 
the man, he literally rolled down the window and he put his hand out and just was like, thumbs up, like, you good? And then just continued driving. And to me, that was just, it was like the epitome of what is wrong in our country and what is wrong in our world, right? That this woman is going to grow, is going to have her child grow up, forever be traumatized by that, not just, you know, like emotionally specifically, and to ask later as she gets older, like, mom, what happened in that situation? Like why, you know, you always tell us like, when you get into an accident, call the police, you know, if you're traumatized, you know, you need to to file a case and sue and all that stuff. It's like, why didn't we do that? And just so many conversations are being had with parents and their kids who are in these less fortunate situations. I can imagine, you know, that's not a conversation that, that um, I think should happen in, in, in the world we live in today. Um, there's just no justice, you know, and that person did not go home and think twice about it. Whereas this woman and, and her daughter are, are going to live with that forever. Um, and her daughter is going to grow up thinking that there's no justice in the world for situations like that to happen. And for that person to not be held accountable at all. It was mind blowing to me, something that obviously it happened a years ago, but it sticks with me today. Um, and it kind of drives my thinking It's stories like that, where you know, me sitting next to that truck in my car, listening to the radio, in my own head, seeing that happen, and just thinking, my world, if I don't expose myself, is a completely sheltered world that's so insulated to the reality. And I think we are so easy that, you know, the people who have versus the people who don't have, there's this line and you can easily just stay in your lane and never have to go over. And I think that's that's sad because there's relationships to be built and there's cohesion to be made, right? We're thinking about the coronavirus that we're having right now and the inequality and the impact. And, you know, some people are like, oh, well, I'll take that $600 check or $2,000 check or whatever. And other people are like, well, one, it's too late, but two, I need it, right? It's not just going to be added to my, um, you know, video game bill or whatever, but I actually need it. Um, and to think that the country in which we, you know, have so much money, it's like, what is the what is the money for? Like the taxes and the things, you know, the U.S. being the richest country and companies making billions of dollars and the stock market doing so much. What is that all for? That should be for, you know, helping people stay off the streets and, and giving people food and, you know, in a pandemic being able to survive. I mean, it's crazy to think that. You know, people are like, well, I'll have, you know, a remodeling of my house, you know, because I worked hard for my money versus, you know, I'm gonna help someone less fortunate who worked just as hard as I did, if not harder, um, but just didn't have the same kind of leg up that that others had. But I digress. That is all the questions I had um, for this episode. I do really appreciate everyone who listened as well as everyone who submitted questions. I just wanted to shout you guys out. I hope everyone is having... um, a happy holidays and excited for the new year. I am definitely thrilled to turn the page on 2020 and hope for a 2021 that is a little bit brighter and one that uh, my podcast can continue to grow. I'm so excited to have started this. Um, I appreciate all the support, you know, the feedback teachers who have have listened to this and, and said, you know, how much they connected to it. And I'd love to just continue that. So please stay involved. Please stay engaged. Um, please continue to spread the word. If you like things like this, where, you know, you can just hear me, you know, let me know. And I can definitely do mailbag questions like this where you guys can submit and I can just go off the cuff and answer these. If you hate it, also let me know so I can never do this again. That is it for this latest episode of Tea Time with a Teacher. Hope you enjoyed. Tune in next week. We've got a great guest on. 
um, and we've got some great guests lined up. As you can probably tell, winter break is a time for teachers to kind of chill out. So this is a great opportunity that, that they have time to come on the show. So definitely keep your ear out for our latest episode with these amazing, amazing guests. Thank you guys so much. As always, I'm your host, JB McConney. Have a great rest of your holiday break and look forward to 2021.